1620. Welcome to Let's Go Pensacola. I am your host, Julio Diaz. Hope you are having a great weekend, trying to stay dry. Man, it just has not stopped raining lately, but uh, I I guess that's uh, that's a thing. Well, anyway, we'll, we'll, fi- we'll find plenty to get you to do and let you to enjoy with our discussion today of everything that's going on in pop culture and entertainment. Joining me on the line to do just that is our good friend Jeremy Branch from the Movies Are Terrible channel on YouTube. Jeremy, welcome. Thank you for having me back. Always a pleasure. You know, I'm kind of a fan of the Florida the Florida rain. I understand people want to get out there and, and enjoy the summertime and stuff, but every once in a while, there's nothing I love more than just a rainy day outside and chilling in the house and watching a good movie. Yeah, and I mean, we've had plenty of time to do that. You know, we had that, uh, I, I guess, did it end up being a tropical storm or a depression or whatever it was last weekend? Uh, that uh, thankfully didn't hit us too hard. I guess it hit, hit a little harder to the west of us. But, uh, you know, that uh, was supposed to be rain all weekend, and then it stopped raining by noon on Saturday. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, that uh, was good movie-watching weather. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, let's just, uh, you know, there's lots to do. You can go to the movies now, we, which I did. I went and saw F9 on a Thursday night with the return of the Pensacola Movie Club. Uh, the the continuation of the Fast and Furious saga. I guess they're calling it the Fast Saga now. I wish they just decide what the, this this series is called. It was the Fast and the Furious, and then it was Too Fast, Too Furious, and then it was the Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift. Did I, do I have the order right so far, Jeremy? So far, so good. Uh, and then uh, and then it starts going to Fast and the Furious. Then they went into numbers, right? Like Fast and the Furious Four. <laughs> and, but yeah, the, but yeah. then they but then they went Fast Five, I, Furious Six. Do I have this right? Fast. I think you lost me at six, but Furious Seven. Was it Furious so I'm not Seven? Sure what and then six it was, was. The, and then yeah. it was and then it was the fate of the Furious. <laughs> I guess what they a got, mess. I guess they got the eight in there in the word fate. It wasn't mm-hmm. spelled F numeral eight though. It was just spelled out with the word fate. And now they're just now it's just a letter and a number. Now it's F nine. Yeah. So, so and you've critiqued the the title sequences pretty well, but what about the movie? Yeah. Man? So, Did you so like well, it? well, I just wonder what the next one's going to be called. I mean, are they going to like not bother with a letter and just put a number out? And oh is no! That no no! I've got it. So strong. I've though. got it. It's just going to be a car emoji. Oh, that's the, that's the title, man. You've got this. That's yeah. the title. Car <laughs> emoji is the title. It's going to be a crossover Greenway, with the emoji go. movie. <laughs> uh, now, now, uh, now, as as for the movie itself, have you seen it yet, Jeremy? No, I have are, not. Are you a fan of this series? No, I am not. Have you seen any of this series? Yeah, so I saw the first one, I saw the fifth one, I saw the seventh one, and to be honest, I thought the seventh one was was pretty good, but there was the whole extra layer of it being kind of a send-off to Paul Walker and this you know this mm-hmm. character that had been around for a long time. So right. I like Furious 7 pretty good, but for who, the most part, it's just all whatever. Who in the universe is still alive, by the way? 
Paul Paul Ooh, Walker Paul Walker's character, even though you never see him on screen, is still alive within universe, and they talk about him within within the within and within this movie as though he's still alive, and you even see his car. Really? Yeah, but but as we all know, unfortunately, Paul Walker is not with us anymore. But uh, but yeah, it, within the universe, he's still around. He's still alive, and he's just off camera, uh, uh, literally taking care of the kids in this one. <clears throat> because uh, you know the, these have been around long enough that many of the the major characters have kids now. So you know this character who was the heart of the was was a big part of the heart of the series and was like Dom's right hand guy and best friend and literally Dom's kid is named after him and uh and you know is like one of the most capable people in the arsenal of uh of the Fast and the Furious franchise is the babysitter. Well if we've and, learned one thing it's it's about family. So that that tracks. Yeah. So, so there's that, you know, and I, I mean, obviously we know why that is in the real world, but you know, mm. it's, and, and it's, I guess it's honorable that they don't want to kill the character off that they want a piece of, uh, of Paul Walker to still be alive within the franchise, but eh, okay. So there, there's that, there's, there's that that happens. Uh, I have not seen all the movies either. I came in, I think with six. I saw six and seven, and I think I saw Fate of the Furious. But man, I felt like uh, like watching this one, like I'd missed a couple of chapters. And I, I know I know there, that part of it was, and I saw Hobbs and Shaw too, which is a spinoff, and uh, and that's uh, you know it, it's not really there's not a whole lot in this movie that has anything to do with anything that happened in Hobbs and Shaw. But uh, you know th- that aside. I know some of what I'm, I'm missing here is stuff that goes back to the early films because there's stuff in this one that l- literally goes back to like the first couple of movies. Uh, mm. There is a character that comes back that, uh, that many people were upset that was written out of the franchise in the past. I, I don't even know that it's a spoiler anymore because he's out doing press for the movie. But, uh, but uh, the guy that played Han, which Han, mm. Han was killed off. And that was that was the whole reason of the enmity between uh, between Shaw, uh, which is uh, Jason Statham's character, and Dominic Toretto's crew. Uh, well, guess what? He ain't dead. <laughs> he's just, hmm. you know, he's just alive. You know, it, it, it happens. You know, it's, they've got. You know, I've heard people call these movies the Carvengers, but they literally <laughs> have at this point gone to every like comic book trope in the book. And and just done it, except that these are supposed to be allegedly normal humans, and they even play with that a little bit because uh, there's a bit where like the the comedy relief duo in all these movies is is Tyrese Gibson and Ludacris, and uh, there there's a bit in there with them with uh, Tyrese Tyrese's character Roman starting to wonder if they're immortal. Like if they're, if they can't be harmed because they've been through all of this, they've been shot at, they've been, you know, under sea, blah, 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 whatever. And, uh, they, they've not, they emerge without a scratch. You know, there's, he's like, there's bullet holes in my jacket from 14 people trying to take my head off and I don't have a scratch on me. You know, he, yeah, <laughs> that, so, that's good. Uh, yeah, no, I actually really liked that. And, uh, so then they just take that another step further by driving a Pontiac Fiero into space. But mm. yeah, so, you know, that happens, you know, as, as can happen in the real world you know you can you can just strap a rocket to a pontiac fiero and you're good to go into into on an outer space mission in a scuba suit i haven't 
I haven't seen uh, Too Fast, Too Furious, but if I'm not mistaken, Han dies in a fiery explosion. So that's he right. must have just <laughs> just got up and walked away from that. Well, is, the, uh, I, I, I will give them, give them this. This movie is long as hell. This movie is two and a half hours long. It's like, you oh, know. Oh, wow. Like, and it has like five, like, it's like a Lord of the Rings movie. This has like five endings and it's, <laughs> it's, it's insane. Uh, so yeah, I mean, saga is definitely applicable, but they do at least take some time to explain how that happened. So okay. There's a ton of flashbacks in this movie. There's a bunch of flashbacks to, to Dominic Toretto's adolescence. There's a bunch of fla- there's the flashbacks to tell you what happened to Han. There's flashbacks. There's uh, dream sequences. There's, you know, I mean, Literally, like everything, probably, probably including the kitchen sink, is in this movie, other than Paul Walker, who of course can't be. So, it's it's ridiculous, it's preposterous. I laughed my rear end off of this movie, but at, at the end, it's hugely entertaining. You, you can't even suspend your disbelief because your your suspension of disbelief will be broken. Yeah, yeah, <sighs> I I do agree with you on them being a fun movie going experience, and there's something to be said about the fact that this silly franchise has resonated across the world with so many people that I'm all right being mm-hmm. wrong. You know, if everybody else loves the Fast uh, franchise or the Fast Saga, then great. I think there needs to be more franchises like that that drive people back to the theater. So that you know, fun is a good thing. Well, and shout out to our friends at uh, AMC W Street, AMC Pensacola 18, for, of course, hosting our Pensacola Movie Club screening. We'll have uh, some more Pensacola Movie Club discussion going on later in the show. We've got to take a break. We'll be back with more in just a moment. You're listening to Let's Go Pensacola on News Radio 92.3 and AM 1620. You know what, Stuart? I like you. You're not like the other people here in the trailer park. Oh, don't, don't get me wrong. They're fine people. They're good Americans. Content to sit back, maybe watch a little Morgan Mindy on Channel 57, maybe kick back a cool course. News Radio 92.3 and AM 16.20. Welcome back to Let's Go Pensacola. I am your host, Julio Diaz. We've got Jeremy Branch from the Movies Are Terrible channel on YouTube on the line with us this morning. We're talking about everything that's uh, going on in pop culture right now. We've been talking about uh, F9, uh, the latest movie in the Fast Saga, and we we were going on a little more about it in the break, and I could do a whole nother segment on this movie because it's just, it's absolutely preposterous. It's not like it's not, uh, it's not poorly made. It's not poorly written or anything like that. It's just insanity. But we're, we're going to move on from that because uh, cause I, I will talk about it for another you know, 20 minutes if, I, if I'm not stopped. And I, I should be stopped because there's no reason Please to talk don't. about it. There's no reason to talk about this movie for half an hour, uh, especially when we've got uh, this has been a big week for trailers. There, there's been a lot of uh, a lot of new trailers released this week uh, that we can uh, we can definitely talk about that. And uh, Jeremy, you and I batted forth, uh, I, I think, almost a half dozen, uh, you know, coming attractions that were released this week that we were excited to talk about. So I'll, I'll let you pick. What do you want to talk about first? Well, there are two big standout horror movies that I want to talk about. And unfortunately, one of that I've been so excited about was overshadowed. But I guess we'll start with the first one first and and talk about Candyman, because this is a movie that was supposed to have been released already. As as every movie coming out right now is. Yeah, I guess that's (laughs) that's definitely a fair point. This one is uh, it's produced by Jordan Peele's uh, Monkey Paul Productions, I believe is what it's called. Mm -hmm. And it's directed by a relatively newcomer to the world of directing. I believe she directed a movie called Little Woods that had uh, Tessa Thompson in it. But her name's Mia DaCosta. 
And people must have liked what they saw in that because not only did she direct this Candyman movie, but she's going to be directing the upcoming Marvel's uh, film, which is the Captain Marvel sequel. So rewind all the way back to 1992. I was a 10-year-old when I first saw Candyman, and it is one of the— Wait, 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 hold on a second. There is no way you should have been seeing that movie at 10 years old. Well, I think that's debatable, Julio. Look, uh, I no, turned out to no, be no, a perfectly no, no. well-adjusted person. <laughs> yeah, it's not just—it's not that it's just a horror movie, though. I mean, that—that's a pretty like. There's some pretty sexual overtones to that movie. I mean, I, I'm a huge fan of that movie, but I mean, we're talking '92. I was already uh, an adult. I mean, I—not that I didn't see—not <laughs> that I didn't see horror movies younger than I should have. I—I I absolutely did. I probably—I was probably. Well, all right, I'm going to be a hypocrite now because I, I would say I was probably 10 or 11 when I saw uh, the first Friday the 13th. And well, there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of sex and nudity in that movie, too. So, all right, <laughs> there I, I, I'm, 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 I'm being too judgy. Go ahead. I feel like us 80s kids are a little different in that. In that my parents did. I was, they were, I was a latchkey kid. They didn't really care yeah. <laughs> as far as what well, I watched. Well, you had cable I, and, you know, yeah. Yes, and I remember uh, just – because not only is it a good scary movie, but it had this layer of subtext to it that I, as a young kid, wasn't really accustomed to seeing, especially in horror movies. When you when you line it up next to your A Nightmare on Elm Street or Friday the Thirteenth, I know we can dig for deeper meaning in these slasher franchises, but Candyman actually had something to say, and I really liked that. So, mm-hmm. moving forward, here we are, uh, you know, all 20, 30 years later, going back and revisiting this franchise. And, um, and it looks like they're changed. leaning into that in a big way in this trailer. The, the trailer definitely seems to be leaning into the what that movie had to say in a very big way. Yes. And so, the original was a very distinct perspective, it was kind of written. For uh, white people, I believe, Bernard Rose, uh, obviously a a white filmmaker, and he was interested in social inequality and all of those things. But Helen is a a white character, and this is all from her perspective. Well, what the new Candyman is doing, to your point, is switching that perspective and making this a movie from the black perspective that gets to use the Candyman mythos in a way that kind of makes it socially relevant. And I'm all for that. Plus, I really like the lead guy ever since his role in Watchmen. So uh, I'm excited. I thought the trailer looked really good. Yeah, I mean, you know, keeping in mind that, yes, while I agree that there was a there was something of a white perspective to the original Candyman, that it was very much about the the black experience to a, to a big degree. And that's what the deal with with Tony Todd as the Candyman was, you know, taking place in the the infamous Cabrini Green projects in Chicago which are, have actually now been, they, they don't exist anymore. They've been, uh, they've been demolished and uh, that neighborhood has been gentrified. And that's kind of reflected in the trailer as well. Cause they talk about being in that neighborhood, but you can tell that that neighborhood is different than it was, uh, you know, whatever we're talking about, I guess. Uh, yeah. Almost uh, 92. So almost 30 years ago. Uh, and, but very much looking at the, the black experience of, of all of that. And I really like that about this trailer. I, I like seeing Tony Todd back in there too. So we do get a little glimpse of Tony Todd in the, in the trailer. So did uh, we really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's when you see the, the candy man at the beginning, I'm 99% certain that's him. Okay. Then I need to go back and rewatch it. Um, I, I love that. And I, I know that horror trailers in particular are really bad about revealing a lot of stuff. And I have a feeling we did see, 
some very pivotal moments in the film. So, like, I'm very split about trailers in the first place. Mm -hmm. We'll talk about this a bit more coming up. Um, But I feel like if you're already bought into the fact that you like Candyman and you're curious about where it's going, just just skip the trailer. There's no sense in even watching it. But if you're like Julio or myself and you just devour every little bit of of pop culture content that you can get your hands on. I think it's a really well shot trailer and I really like the use of the paper puppets at the beginning of it. Yeah. I think it's a very effective trailer and it got me uh, a, a lot more excited. I was excited about the film already, but got me a lot more excited. I, I, I think it's a, a very well done trailer. I don't think it reveals too much. I think it's spooky. Good. I, and uh, I, I am very excited to see this film. So let's, you know, you, you now now is this the one that you think has been, overshadowed or do you think that because well the next one we'll talk about is the other horror trailer halloween kills do you think that one's been overshadowed by Candyman, or vice versa i believe that because of the how strong the brand is that halloween kills overshadows Candyman. i mean michael myers is is mount rushmore of of horror icons oh, yeah yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. And well, as much as I personally love Candyman, it just the temperature kind of got uh, dropped a little bit because this Halloween Kills trailer, it's a lot, dude. Yeah, Holy I, cow, this is going to be the biggest body count of any Halloween movie. Well, going back to what you were saying, you know, I've, I've talked many, many times about, uh, you know, the, in that 70s, 80s era, there's like a big four of horror icons. The way that the Universal Monsters became icons in the... 30s and 40s there there are a lot of characters that became icons in the 70s and 80s but inarguably the big four are jason Voorhees, freddy krueger leatherface and michael myers yeah like those are the yeah like you said the mount rushmore and then there's a bunch of others and Candyman, i would argue is one of them although a a lesser one uh along with like chucky and uh you know there's others we could pinhead yeah pinhead for sure uh, there, there's, there's definitely others we can name. So yeah, you know, Michael, uh, Michael Myers is obviously always a big deal. And I, you know, I wondered whether this trailer was revealing too much. I really didn't, you know, what you were saying about Candyman, that's kind of the way I felt about the Halloween kills trailer. There's a lot going on in this trailer and you, they, I mean, this is a, I'm assuming this is a red band trailer because there is a, a, an awful lot of murder in this trailer. An awful lot of murder. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, there. Th- this has got to be one of the highest body counts I've ever seen in a trailer. Absolutely. And to your point, is it too much? I suppose that's completely subjective. But I think it. I think it was. I think it showed us. It is a fantastic trailer. That if you have uh, ability to remember things from the trailer when you go see the movie, it's definitely going to shade your experience because not only does it show a lot of people getting murdered, it shows a lot of characters that we recognize probably meeting their demise right there in the shot well so, and there's yeah, a I, there's a lot of story please. in it too there i mean th- th- this outright shows you this trailer outright shows you how michael myers survived the fire at the end of the the last film how which, awesome is that scene? I, 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 I think it's pretty cool but uh you know i'm kind of surprised they gave that away in a trailer uh yeah, yeah i'm kind of there's 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 quite a bit that i'm surprised so i'm hoping that means there's a lot of other surprises in this film and that and that they can I'm hoping there's so much going on that this doesn't give away as much as it seems like it gives away. Uh, but yeah. right now you feel that it did give away too much. Well, you know, I, I don't know. That remains to be seen. But I, I was a big fan of the previous film. I think that it was a 
worthy successor. I don't mind that it basically meant throwing out all of the other Halloween movies after the original. Uh, I, I was good with that. And, uh, you know, fantastic cast, and it's only going to get better. We've got the addition of our, our new friend, Anthony Michael Hall, uh, showing up in this film and looking pretty damn badass in the in the trailer. Yes. Uh, yes. You know, uh, he was, you know, of course, as you know, he was just here for Pensacon. Great guy. And uh, looking forward to, to seeing what he does in the film. But, you know, I don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll see. But it's definitely an effective trailer, and I'm, I'm still excited to see the movie, but I just hope that that means there's a lot more to be seen in the movie. Yes, I agree on all counts, and it's really interesting. There's a line of dialogue where uh, Jamie Lee Curtis basically says he's flesh and blood, but he's also the physical embodiment of evil, and every time he kills, he gets more, she doesn't say powerful, but something to that effect. Everything you said I agree with. I think the 2018 film was fantastic, and I'm excited to see this as well as the third movie that's going to close out this new trilogy. Before we uh, we run out of time in this segment, I want to mention there's one more, like, horror thriller kind of film that has a new trailer out uh, that is a, a clever concept that we, we all know too well just by the title of this film, which is Karen. Oh, I'm so glad you brought this up. So, yeah, so they've, they've basically made a, a horror thriller movie about a Karen, about a, a woman who uh, lives in a, a suburban neighborhood and she, you know, is, is the ultimate, you know, uh, I need to speak to the manager. I, I'm, I'm going to tell the homeowners association on you, kind of. But also, you know, more than that, malevolent and has a brother who's a cop, and they're both racists, and uh, you know that whole experience out of it. And it's Taryn Manning playing Karen, uh, who uh, you might remember as Pensatucky on Orange Is the New Black, and she was also on Sons of Anarchy. She's played like a, a lot of white trashy kind of characters. This is not a white yeah. trashy kind of character. This is just like a a white supremacist almost kind of character, but like hidden under the veneer of the, you know, typical suburban housewife. And uh, I didn't almost didn't recognize her until the, you know, her name came up at the end credits. I was like, Whoa, wait a minute. That was Karen Manning. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think this is a, it's kind of an obvious thing, but uh, the trailer is pretty well done. The trailer is more well done than it has any right to be, but (laughs) I love it. I think it looks hilarious. I am big on irony, and this is just one of the silliest concepts for a movie I've seen in in a while. To me, to me, and you know, maybe there is more uh, validity, more weight to it than I'm giving it. But to me, Karen is such a meme. It's such a it's such a Twitter thing that outside of that context, I I feel like it, it just it reads to me like a skit. And I love it. We've got to take a break. We'll be back with more in just a moment. You're listening to Let's Go Pensacola on News Radio 92.3 and AM 92.3 and AM 1620. Welcome back to Let's Go Pensacola. I am your host, Julio Diaz. We've got Jeremy Branch from the Movies Are Terrible channel on YouTube on the line with us. And uh, we're just talking about everything that's going on in pop culture right now. And uh, cannot let the show go past without a big shout out to Conan O'Brien. 
uh, who is this as of this week leaving the daily airwaves uh, after 28 years hosting late night shows, uh, starting, of course, with Late Night with Conan O'Brien and then uh, briefly The Tonight Show, which uh, that's a whole thing that we could get into. And then Conan on TBS for the past several years. Uh, not going away permanently, thank goodness. He's uh, he's going to be doing a weekly variety show for HBO Max and looking forward to checking that out, as well as uh, continuing to do podcasting and uh, Conan Without Borders specials on TBS. And Conan will definitely be around, but we won't have him on TV, you know, every night or four nights a week or whatever it's been uh, since he went over to TBS doing the traditional late night talk show. So it's very much uh, the end of an era because he was... Uh, as of right now, kind of the elder statesman of that uh, on, on the air. You know, we've got people that are maybe bigger deal with it these days, you know, Jimmy Kimmel or, or uh, Stephen Colbert, Jimmy Fallon, whatever, whatever you know, whoever you follow. Uh, but I think it's also a different era for that kind of thing in general. You know, I when I was, you know, in high school, you know, college age, even, you know, a little older than that, you know, you had your, 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 whoever your person was, whether it had been, you know, when you were, when I was, you know, super young, Johnny Carson was like the king and nobody could take him on. But then, you know, you had these later shows like David Letterman's show or, or you know, uh, Arsenio, et cetera, et cetera. You know, those shows had a big influence and they, I don't think they have the big influence that they used to have anymore as a one hour or a half hour chat with celebrities kind of show. I think they're, Influence now is largely in YouTube clips, and uh, I uh, I gotta admit I haven't watched Conan you know as anything other than YouTube clips in quite some time. Uh, but the same is true of all of those late night shows. I don't ever sit down and watch an entire episode of Colbert or Fallon or or Jimmy Kimmel or uh, Seth Meyers or you know whoever. And, and I'm wondering, do you do you watch those things the same way, Jeremy? So I'm a holdout. I actually do. I'm, I okay. get made fun of pretty much regularly on my podcast for being a, a holdout on SNL as well as late night talk shows. Um, as you said, everybody's kind of got their guy. Jimmy Kimmel is top of my list. And then I watch Seth Meyers as well. Um, now, if I could watch Stephen Colbert, I, I definitely would because he's got his late night show as well. And I really like him. However, uh, four hour for my sensibilities. Uh, somebody who does love comedy is somebody who grew up a Simpsons fan. Uh, Conan, I think, speaks the most directly to the to the style of humor and the kind of offbeat stuff that I like the most. Mm-hmm. I've always really, really liked Conan. However, he was never one of those guys that I regularly watched. I did see his TBS show quite a bit, you know, a long, long time ago, twenty years ago or whatever that was, but. He's uh he's fantastic, man. And and uh, while I do still watch Jimmy Kimmel pretty much every day, you're you're absolutely right when you say they don't quite have the influence that they used to. It's it's a it's a thing that within the next ten years, I'm not sure that it's gonna you know exist in the same form that it does today. I think it'll still exist, and I think it'll still exist in the the form it does today because I think the network stuff. For some reason, like there is a niche for that network stuff that like was this kind of familiar stuff that we grew up with. And it's the same same thing with like things like uh, your, your procedural shows, your like your NCISs and your, your CSIs and point. things like that, your law and orders. There's there are people that want that kind of television. And th- there are reasons that like those shows that I just mentioned are like among the most watched shows on television. Uh, as at least as far as broadcast, as far as broadcast television goes, they definitely are. But 
even you know you know you hear all the hype about whatever the latest big streaming series is or or you know before that things like game of thrones or breaking bad or mad men you know that are like the the zeitgeist shows but some of those shows did not have the viewership that like a single episode of ncis has yeah that's a really good and point and those things are institutions yeah there there is an audience for that and i think there will continue to be an audience for that and i think they will continue to try to like cater to both audiences because you know all of those shows you know they they're all over youtube i do watch i i do watch most of seth meyer's closer look segments but i watch uh-huh. them on youtube yeah i mean i and i think he's great i think he does a great job with the show i if i do watch him with a guest he always does a great job with them uh and, and you know that's true of colbert that's true of you know just about everybody but that's tends to be how i consume those shows it's not appointment television anymore the way uh, when Letterman was doing late night and then when Conan was yes. doing late night. Uh, but Conan, you know, I really followed into, you know, I thought he was great on the tonight show. I hated what happened in with that. And then the, uh, the first few years of his TBS show were, were also fantastic. So I was a very loyal Conan viewer for a long time. I was a very loyal viewer of, uh, the daily show with Jon Stewart. And, uh, yes. uh, I still, I like, you know, again, I watch a lot of clips of Trevor Noah, but I rarely sit down and watch an entire show. So, I, I mean, I, I don't know if that's indicative of the way our attention spans are changing or or the world's changing, but I think that there's still going to be a place for those kinds of talk shows. So um, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. But I'm very interested to see what Conan does now. Uh, you know, I think he had an interesting last week. Uh, there was a lot of buzzworthy moments with Paul Rudd showing up and doing his, yes. his, uh, his ceremonial last showing of the clip from Mac and Me. And uh, that that's been a running joke for, on Conan for decades, uh, and then uh, you know uh, Will Ferrell showing up on the last episode because Will Ferrell has been on every last episode of Conan. He was on the last Late Night, he was on the last Tonight Show, and now he's on the last Conan. So that's fantastic. Yeah. So in fact, they made uh, they made a gag about that, and he pre-recorded uh, uh, appearances for Conan's next last shows. <laughs> so, <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. Great. So uh, you know. Uh, I just had to throw that in there. You know, it's, it's worth mentioning, you know, the, the guy is uh, obviously, you know, a, a comedy icon and a late night icon. And the fact that he's not doing a late night show anymore is a, uh, is a big deal, but I'm glad we're going to continue to, uh, to see him hanging around. Uh, somebody else that's hanging around uh, barely by a, by a thread seemingly is our, our dear, dear friend, great grandpa, Harrison Ford, mm. who uh, is uh, in the middle of making a, a fifth Indiana Jones movie. And uh, apparently like he does every time he does a movie where he has to move at all anymore, he has injured himself. Yikes. So uh, yeah, you know, Yikes. when he, when he was doing, um, which of the star Wars movies did he injure himself on? Was it on, uh, it was the force awakens. And I think it? the millennium Falcon door closed on his foot or something. Yeah. He heard his foot making force awakens, which he had a lot of action. In. Is it still a spoiler to talk about uh, rise of Skywalker? Let's say spoilers just in case there's some human on the planet that hasn't seen Rise of Skywalker yet. Yeah. Um, but he had no, he I'm had a, a an afterlife cameo in in Rise of Skywalker that you know that there was no action involved in that, so he didn't hurt himself in that. But uh, here we are making Indiana Jones five, and you know Indy is. I think this one's going to take place in in 1992 in the Cabrini Green projects, uh, <laughs> and, and and Indy is going to be 112 years old. Uh, mm. No, I, I don't know. I don't know what era this is taking place in, but obviously Harrison himself is in his seventies. So uh, even if they make Indy a little younger than that, we, the last one was t- took place in the fifties. So we got. I'm thinking we got to at least be in the sixties. 
Maybe it's maybe Indy's going to go to Woodstock. I see. That's I would buy a ticket. I mean, look, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to buy a ticket oh, regardless. Too, but Indiana Jones goes to Woodstock. That's a movie. That's a movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, I wanted to see. I, I, I'm interested in that. And of course, this is another thing. Weird thing about this one is it's going to be the first one not directed by Steven Spielberg. But uh, we've got you know a heck of a director, James Mangold, coming on. Yeah, who, who do, a does not make bad movies, generally speaking. But over and above that, um, you know, did a great job with Logan, the the final Wolverine movie. So if he can tap into some of that and play with the fact that uh, that Indy is much older at this point that that might be interesting too although i'm sure it's going to be more of a big rollicking adventure and less of a meditation on on aging the way logan was but uh harrison man what are you doing <laughs> every time yes first <laughs> you got to stop doing action movies man yeah it's it's okay we're still gonna like you if you do like a legal drama i promise i am so on the same page and that's what i was about to say is like we love harrison ford i'm not an ageist it's just at some point it becomes impractical to be up there doing these kind of things and indiana jones or uh, harrison ford getting injured on the set of indiana jones it's like this is the biggest not surprise that oh, has yeah. happened in a in a long time. Of course he got injured. He's 80 years old trying to play a character that he popularized in his 30s. So, yeah, when, uh, when the news alert came across my phone the other day, I was like, oh, well, yep, that's about on time. <laughs> I just kind of rolled yeah. my eyes and moved on. It's like, dude, yeah, they have stuntmen. The it's okay. okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he'll get he'll get through <laughs> it, and they're, re, they're rearranging filming, and he's going to be fine. And I wouldn't be joking about it if he wasn't, you know. But, right. Uh, you know, dude. It's it's okay to use a stuntman. I promise. Yeah, we're, we're still gonna we're yes. still gonna go see the movie. Everybody's gonna go see the Indiana Jones and and the the perils of Metamucil or whatever you're gonna call it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, we're we're all here for it. We'd even be here for it, even if you brought Shia back, which you're not. So, so thank mm-hmm. goodness for that. You know, there there Julio, will be. Can you believe that Crystal Skull was 15 years ago? I can, but man, that's depressing. It's so because I still call it the the new Indiana Jones movie or the last Indiana Jones movie. It makes me feel like it was I don't know. I guess fifteen years sounds right, but geez, it is. This is so far removed from that, and they've kept this project pretty under wraps because I'm not sure if there is somebody that's going to be taking over the role of Indiana. Like, is is he passing the fedora off this time again, like he tried to do in the last one? Or are we just going to get a straight up Indiana Jones movie? Well, I, I guess we'll find out. Well, we've got to take a break. It won't be 15 years, I promise. We'll be back in just a moment with more. You're listening to Let's Go Pensacola on News Radio 92.3 and AM Radio 92.3 and AM 1620. Welcome back to Let's Go Pensacola. I am your host, Julio Diaz. I've got Jeremy Branch with me on the line from the Movies Are Terrible channel on YouTube. And if uh, that song sounds familiar to you at all, I am guessing that you, like us, have been keeping up with Loki on Disney+. Plus. That was played at the beginning of the most recent episode that dropped this week. And we've got a couple of weeks worth of episodes to catch up on since we uh, had to uh, jump off last week with the uh, with the storm that came through last week. Uh, so, uh, so we're now at the point where we have possibly two Lokis running around, but possibly not. 
you know, whether whether Sylvia, she calls herself, is a Loki variant or not is still to be determined, although she's certainly acting as though she is. There's there's some question if you know your Marvel folklore, whether she might be another character or not. Uh, and uh, well, I mean, let's let's pick up, I guess. uh with you know, we had the whole pursuit of her last episode, and Loki seeming our our Loki that we're familiar with, Tom Hiddleston, uh, seeming to work with the Time Variance Authority uh, towards capturing her, with an eye towards furthering his own goals. But now he's run off with her, and that you know he may be falling under her goals, but that may or may not matter because the end of this episode leaves them in a very dire state. Uh, Hit me up, Jeremy. Here, what do you? What are your thoughts on the show so far? We're at the halfway point okay. now, too. So, episode two, I thought was really good. Um, this is called the Variant, and it, it takes place. Uh, well, a, a good chunk of it takes place at a fictional uh, big box store in Alabama in the year twenty seventy seven, I believe. Which uh, it's on the Gulf. It's literally. 30 miles or something from, from where Julio and I are at, didn't, if it were a real place. Didn't they say at the time there were like literally 12 hurricanes hitting it at the same time or something like that? Yes, which again, hits very close to home. Um, by the way, a little disappointed that you decided that a natural catastrophe was worth calling the show last week, but I, I guess we're here now, so it's fine. But <laughs> I was very, very upset that we weren't able to talk about this last week because it it ended at a, at a great place, and I wanted to set that up to say uh, Sylvie, this this variant who may or may not be Loki, uh, leaves through one of those portals after after bombing the uh, several timelines on the TVA. Loki steps through after her. This episode three opens up with a scene revealing how Sylvie extracts information from people. It opens up in this tropical bar, and one of the TVA agents is engaging with her, and she's trying to extract information from her. I say that to say that scene is very similar to what takes place on the train later in the episode between Loki and Sylvie. So That's true. I wa- I'm wondering, and... <laughs> Because you and I do this, because I do a recap show with my friend Holden, I try to stay pure as far as not reading a whole lot of speculation or theories and things like that. Plus, after WandaVision, we kind of know that that can lead to heartache. But I'm wondering if all the things that happen in Episode 3, which may feel like a filler episode to a lot of people, I wonder if this whole time Sylvie has been befriending and becoming closer with Loki so that she can extract whatever information it is that she needs from him. So maybe this entire episode was an illusion because there's a point later on in the episode where Loki seemingly uses a time stone to reverse time and lift a crumbling building back up into place. But it's been established that the time uh, that the uh, infinity stones like don't have their power in the TVA. See, I'm, I think I'm I think that's curious. a misconception. I don't think that was a time stone. I think that was just a sorcery. So you okay, okay. So and that's definitely a possibility. And that kind of speaks to one of my issues with episode three is that Loki's power set is incredibly inconsistent, and it really just depends on what the screenwriters need him to be able to do or not be able to do in that moment. Because in episode two, he was getting his ass kicked by just some dude. I mean, it was a big guy, no doubt about it, but definitely not as big as a skyscraper. So I feel like he could have just kind of 
shuck him across the world or something if he wanted to. Yeah, yeah there, there's been some there's been some criticism about that uh, on not just about Loki but about Sylvia as well. About you know, you're seeing them basically fighting you know these guards with using nothing but their fists and you know regular weapons versus you know using their powers. What do you think about it? I think it's I think real world it's budgetary. Okay, yeah, absolutely. And and that does matter. I mean, these are all things that we should take into consideration. And when I look at episode three, I have some issues with the presentation. I felt like some of the keying of the green screen was a little stodgy. It didn't look phenomenal. Granted, when the environment is 100% green screen, which we haven't seen in previous episodes, it becomes a bit more obvious. Uh, I don't usually have a problem with those kind of environments. I just felt it was a little shaky. Um, and right now, because we're taking this whole thing as one story, I still love Loki. I just felt like episode three, it revealed a little bit of the <laughs> cracks that weren't visible in the previous two episodes. So not to not to dog it out, because I do think overall it ended up being a good episode. I just for the first time was like, huh, some of this stuff isn't quite gelling quite as well as I would like it to. See, for me, the episode was all about the the interplay between Loki and Sylvie and yes. the two of them basically trying to manipulate manipulate each other and trying to extract information out of each other and showing that while they are supposed to be different versions of the same of the same character, they are very different versions of the same character, uh, if they are at all as well. You know, now what what's your what are your thoughts on that? You know, do you think that this Sylvie is actually a Loki variant or do you think she's pretending to be a Loki variant and she's actually, you know, some of the, the name Sylvie has been associated with the character, the Enchantress in the comics off and on. So do you think that that's what's going on? She's actually the Enchantress. Do you think she's maybe just a hybrid between the two characters? What, what are your thoughts there? So as somebody who is fairly uh, green as far as not knowing the comic book lore very well, I think that Marvel is doing what Marvel often does is in cherry-pick elements. Um, I've noticed that Loki has referred to her as Enchantress and Enchantress maybe five times so far. So uh, I think that they're like, hey, it is Enchantress. Look, Loki keeps calling her Enchantress. Her name is Sylvie. Is she a Loki variant? That, this is where it gets weird because we saw all these different versions of Loki. So is it possible that in another timeline that Freja and Odin had a, uh, a, a girl instead of a boy? However, we also got this huge bombshell revelation that everybody in the TBA is a former variant, even though Owen Wilson's character, had previous, Mobius, had previously told us that they were all basically just created from the timekeepers. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, Julio. That's definitely something that I've been kind of, uh, you know, trying to figure out. And I believe that she is a character named Sylvie, who Loki refers to as Enchantress. So that takes care of those two things. She is also, as many times as Loki has referred to her as Enchantress, she has told Loki not to call her a Loki. So there is, you know, there's these couple little things that are all kind of in play right now, and I'm. I'm just I'm pretty uh, on the fence still about what that looks like. But what, what do you think? Well, I think that one thing for sure is that uh, in Mobius's life before he was a time variance uh, agent, uh, he was definitely a jet ski enthusiast. This is true. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's that's just got to be, you know, uh, there's been a lot of things going on, a lot of uh, going on that uh, 
if the series does not end with with uh, Mobius and Loki on a jet ski together, then we riot. Uh, and I, I'm I'm here for that. You know, maybe they could crash a wedding uh, or something like that. Uh, I, I I still I still I don't think we've gotten an Owen Wilson wow in this series yet. Not yeah. yet, yeah. exactly. Wow. Not yet. I think we get the wow in there at some point. Uh, you know, I, I'm not. I'm not sure what to expect. I'm just enjoying the ride. But I, I, I really did like this episode. I liked the, the interplay between the two characters, and I, I'm very interested to see where that goes. I think we're. You got to remember too. We're tying into bigger things here. I think we're tying into, the the overall multiverse stuff that's coming in Marvel. I think we're going to see something that's going to tie into Doctor Strange. Uh, I think that, you know, there's, I think we're also going to see some stuff that ties into Kang here. I think there's, there's too much going on with time. And, uh, the Ravana character is a character that in the comics is very much associated with Kang the Conqueror. So I, you know, I don't know that the timekeepers are what we think they are. Mm. There's a, there's a lot going on here. And, uh, it's interesting to see that we're already at the halfway point. This is only a six episode series. So, uh, you know, that's, uh, you know, it's kind of like I felt at the middle of when we got to the midpoint of uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I felt like, you know, well, how are we going to wrap all this up? And I think, mm. I think they did very well. So I have faith that they will they will do so very well here as well. But uh, do we have a chance to bring up the Loki sexuality thing, which is oh, yeah. a big, uh, yeah, big I mean, article. There's a lot of conversation around this. What do you think? Yeah. So, I mean, I think this is the right character to do that with. It's canon to the comics. Uh, so for those who missed it, you know, Loki basically comes out as bisexual in this, uh, or, or maybe pansexual, if that's the way you take it, uh, in this uh, in this episode. And I guess Sylvie does too, in a sense. Uh, so now we have our first MCU canon major character who is uh, part of the LGBTQ community. Yeah, I agree. I agree with what you said. I feel like if there was, if there was, a character who it would have felt unnatural for to find out that Loki wasn't bisexual. I don't feel like this is pandering. I don't feel like this is the woke agenda or any of these buzzwords that a lot of people like to accuse Disney and Marvel of. I think that this naturally fits the character. It didn't feel out of place. It didn't feel like the dialogue was untrue to who he was. So I 100% support this decision and love the fact that that Marvel finally pulled the trigger because the big thing about uh, it was either Joe or Anthony Russo in Endgame, and they were like, hey, we put the first gay character into the MCU. So at this point, they're just acknowledging that gay people exist, which is yep. <laughs> not quite the, the same win as saying, hey, Loki, this beloved character, he is a part of the LGBTQ plus uh, community. So I, I thought it was great. I, I really enjoyed that. But I did just want to touch on it for a second because there has been a lot of conversation around it. Well, I'm glad you brought it up, but unfortunately we are out of time. So, Jeremy, as always, thank you for being here. We will be back next week with much more to talk about. Until then, you're listening to Let's Go Pensacola on News Radio 92.3 and AM 1620.